the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Center Podcast. I am your host, Daramar, and I am joined, as always, by Fionn Malloy. Uh, Jake is off enjoying his honeymoon. If you didn't know already, um, he got hitched over the weekend. So congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Woolhead. Hope they enjoy a well-earned honeymoon um, and a, obviously all the best with their future life together. But Fionn, how are you? It's actually been a minute since we've been uh, back on air chatting football. Yes, uh, we decided not to waffle through waffle season of American football and kind of get back to things when news stories actually really started happening. It is kicking off. I think we're in, most teams are in second week of preseason now. So it's about time we got started again. We know our fans appreciate our news views and insights. And if there's nothing to kind of have an insight on, we felt it was probably better to be a little bit quiet. So, uh, but we've been on top of things. Anyone who's following on our social media, which we recommend, we've been active on that. We haven't necessarily been putting out shows, but we've been keeping on top of any trickling news that has been happening so i'm excited to get back in i think i'm considering this there i don't know about you maybe you wait till the preseason games kick off but for me it really feels like football season has started back again i think that might show how desperate we are for football but still i'm i'm counting it i'm saying yes let's go there's some real proper news stories to talk about now well the way the way it just happens to pan out so when our own local season ends is when like you get into the meat and the bones of training camp for most teams because like you said we're in week two that means the pads are getting on today yeah and, and they the have pads to are wait. getting on this week you know they have this to wait what... for those irish stars to come over that's why the seasons are aligned like that it's yeah. it perfectly coincides so we can go over there and train in the preseason after our season is done yeah and of course like it did me the shamrock bowl is on this weekend up in kingspan stadium in belfast between the dublin rebels and ucd two uh and without the the best teams in the country this year so it's only right that those two contest the shamrock bowl we should also uh, extend a congratulations to the West Mead Minotaurs and the Antrim Jets who won the Division 1 and Division 2 bowl games respectively last weekend in Belfast as well. So congratulations to those two Minotaurs going up to the Premier Division and the Jets going up to Division 1. So many congratulations to both of those teams. But Fionn and I are not alone this week. Uh, as you may have seen on our social pages that Fionn mentioned, you can actually see at the bottom of the screen here where you can find us on them. So make sure you're following us. Uh, we have been looking to add some more people to our team ahead of the new season. And we've been lucky to find a few new people to come on board to the Under Center podcast ahead of the new year because we are hoping to bring you a lot more content which means we're going to need a lot more uh, feet on the ground to get um, all the work done that uh, we think that we need to get to bring you the best shows possible. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce the first of our new uh, members to the team. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Rean Malloy to the Under Center podcast. Rean, how are you? I'm very well. It's very nice to be on, finally. I was on for one show a couple of years ago, or uh, talking about yeah. the Panthers, but it's good to be back. And it's good to have a little bit of pizzazz added to the show now. You just have a quarterback on, finally, as a host. Yeah, wearing a quarterback's shirt 
god awful. <laughs> we, as it happens, a quarterback's connection, as in not connecting at all with his wide receivers. Yeah, well, just anybody like who's played against lot. me in the IFA too, uh, <laughs> they know that this connection is probably as slow as slow as I am. <laughs> Well, we do like that you can take shots at yourself because we're going to keep taking shots at you throughout the whole thing too. <laughs> so it's good that you're able to take it. But like you mentioned, you were on the show before. You were part of our Carolina Panthers off-season need, um, our off-season series that we had last year. So you were definitely no stranger to the show. And uh, keen listeners will probably know the second name that I used in that too because – now, we don't have just one Malloy on the team. We have two. So, uh, nepotism is alive and well, I say. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to be very <laughs> careful with this precedent you're setting, Dara, because we have two other Malloy brothers. You could be very soon out of a hosting job. <laughs> well, see, that's the problem. I've only got one brother, and he has no interest in American football. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I've got to, I got to make sure the next moves that I make are very careful. Well, um, the only this. thing is, our two brothers don't necessarily have an interest in American football, but they do have a, a fantastic passion for waffling, and that usually gets you about as far as you need to go in terms of podcasting these days. So you never yeah. know. Uh, I wouldn't catch your chickens too early there. Yeah. So, Rain, just a, a little background on yourself. So, like you mentioned, you are the quarterback for the North Dublin Pirates. So, we have another pirate on board, which is great. Um, you have decided to join this show, and you're also a Carolina Panthers fan. So, it's good to know that you've made as many bad choices in life as we have. Um, tell us why the Panthers. Uh, yeah, I, I I ask myself that question every year. Uh, now it was just I got into football right when Cam Newton was being drafted and I thought that's the guy for me so uh, he came on board he did great things for us and uh, yeah since he's been gone we've had a world of pain you definitely have had a world of pain and you're in for more pain this year I'm sure with this uh, this what 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 could we say uh, feeling about it this it's not going to say like this ginormous QB battle this, you know. It's gargantuan. I don't, I, I think you're underselling it, Dara. <laughs> this might be the QB battle. How often do they have two future Hall of Famers battle it out for a starting job in Carolina? Uh, uh, expansion team who have, have they won the Super Bowl? I don't think they've ever won the Super Bowl. No matter no. which way this goes, it's their biggest odds yet of winning the Super Bowl. You must be really super excited as a Carolina Panthers fan to see these two giants go at it for your starting job. A first and a third <laughs> or a first and a third pick overall in the same draft. It's, it's, it's like the Washington. <laughs> it's like the Washington defensive line. You've got first round picks everywhere you look in that quarterback room. And yet, no. We one haven't seen we him. haven't seen QBs this good since Sanchez and Tebow lined up for the Jets. <laughs> uh, I'm a little worried now, Rain. I'll be honest. Um, Fionn has got himself a quarterback that is serviceable at the best, not useless. And, uh, well, can be useless at the worst, and he's he's given about barrels now to uh, to you. I don't know if it's that just brotherly stuff, or is he just getting a little bit of a uh, little bit of a little bit too cocky for his own uh, his own world to be. 
I, I think he has been a little bit too cocky because yeah. I think people tend to forget as well that Baker brought the Browns to the playoffs. He might not, he might throw fucking 50 interceptions a year, but he got the Browns to the playoffs after two seasons with no wins. So I think that's, yeah, I'm quietly optimistic. And he did it without Christian McCaffrey. But Dara, you better watch your mouth because you don't have any quarterback at all this year. So I'm only warming up Rain. I'm giving Rain a bit of hazing, but don't worry. We're going to gang up on you pretty soon. <laughs> that Malloy blood is going to get pumping and uh, you're not safe here, I have to say. Ah, oh, sure, look. Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. <laughs> look, I'm, I'm totally the... okay. I'm okay. When Dara Just... start... <laughs> When Dara started as a Seahawks fan, he was like, we're never not making the playoffs. And now he's staring down the barrel of like a five-win season that he never thought he would be. And I think, no, it, I think it's starting think, to rattle him a little bit. No, I, I'm totally okay until week one when we get trounced um, by our former quarterback. And that means... Yeah, and so that means then I will be like fire everyone and and just get someone else in. Trade, tra- send every single pick we have to, um, to Kansas for Patrick Mahomes or something, or get Lamar in and give him his contract. I don't care. Well, like we'll see what happens. Look, listen, if I'm Drew Lock, I immediately turn around and just point at the offensive line and just blame them. Same way Rose did, like their fault. But he can't though. They've actually invested in the offensive line. Doesn't matter. Work for yeah, us. Look, Dara, Dara, we have an eighteen million dollar quarterback sitting there. You might be interested in, you know. Tony Romo thinks he's brilliant. Sam Darnold might become available. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, I'm gonna put that under like red and just left there. Seeing <laughs> um, one after that. Yeah, seeing like I give you the two, uh, the two blue ticks. You know, um, and then I'll just leave it there for that uh, for that time being. Uh, but if it does happen where I am desperate enough to need a Sam Darnold, then I'll just be like, "Oh, sorry, I, I thought I replied to this already. I'd love Sam Darnold." <laughs> but look, listen, we'll have, plenty that stage. Of... <laughs> we'll have plenty of opportunities to speak about the Panthers, and I'm sure about the Seahawks. Um, and I'm sure we'll be have plenty of time to joke about the uh, the commanders as well. Uh, throughout training camp, in the preseason, and of course when we head in to the season. Although we are giving you a lot of grief, Reen, we are delighted you are on board, and we're looking forward to your point of view throughout the season. Um, and uh, not just uh, not just about the Panthers, about the wider NFL. But we are going to be talking about uh, a few news stories from at home and abroad here. For the next uh, few minutes later on in the show uh we will be talking to alex collins alex has uh, his own youtube channel and he has been um breaking down film for a uh, specific sorry specific players from all 32 teams so make sure you stick around for that chat too it's really good we'll be talking about a few of the qbs heading into year two and what could we be expected to see who will blossom and who will fall so stick around for the second half of the show um, for that interview. But firstly, a little closer to home with our first news piece. It's announced on Monday evening that Belfast Trojans defensive end Lopez Sanusi has been offered a place in the NFL Academy in Longborough in England. A terrific moment for Lopez, of course, and, and his family. And, of course, uh, great to see 
uh, that someone from the league that we play in has been given the opportunity to go over and possibly um, go to one of the big colleges in America. And then who knows, in a couple of years, we might even see him in the league. Uh, Rian, because uh, it's your first show, I'll start with you on this. Just looking at the wider context of this, of seeing someone from the Amer- American Football Ireland uh, Premier Division going over to the NFL Academy. How much do you think that is going to help grow the game over here? Well, I'd like to start by saying Fionn's invitation must have got lost in the post. Um, but yeah, no, look, this is an absolutely great step forward for our game. I think it's going to uh, bring a lot of publicity to the sport uh, in Ireland. I think it might end up, you know, encouraging more people to play because uh, they see, you know, you might be able to make it big. Anything is possible, even if you're playing in the IFA, which is just an amazing thing to see. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool as well, because obviously the Belfast Trojans are probably the biggest. I don't have the stats exactly, but it, it looks to most people that they're the biggest team in Ireland in terms of membership and, and player numbers. And it's great to see because a lot of this stuff is dominated usually by... Uh, I think London Blitz and those kind of London teams that have absolutely huge catchment areas. So even if it if it's not in the Republic of Ireland, obviously we're Dublin based, so that's that's where our allegiance lies. But it's absolutely fantastic to see the league because it is an All Ireland league get invited to these things, and it and it absolutely will bring notoriety. And I hope and I believe that us as an Irish American football show, and I'm sure many of our counterparts that do podcasts as well, and the teams, we really need to spread this and boost this because it is a minority sport in Ireland. It is trying to grow, and we need to really push this and say there, there is really serious athletes playing this sport in Ireland, and if you're interested in pushing yourself, it's a great sport to be involved in. It's a lot of fun, and there's there's also positions at every level Obviously, the Belfast Trojans, for anyone who doesn't know, plays in, in the Premier Division of our uh, of our league. We play in Division 2, so that's the third division of our league. So there really is a position and a standard for everyone in Ireland. If you're any way at all interested in American football, not just at the top level, but all the way through every level and all the way through both north and south of the border, uh, we really encourage you to, to take that interest and apply it because it benefits the game, it benefits you, and it benefits us as the teams as well. Yeah, and I think one thing that we've seen, especially this season, with of course our our first year back uh, since COVID, um, and what we've seen over the last few years, especially with the Belfast Trojans, is that they have taken sort of that step forward in trying to improve all aspects of their club, um, with their youth team, their flag football, because that's where. Um, Lopez came from. He actually played for their U team and was promoted up to their senior kid team, and play and has only played um, one year with the with the senior team, not even a full season. And he's he's been recognised with his ability to go over to the NFL Academy. We've seen with them if you if you follow them on, on social media, their social media game is extremely strong. They they continue to um, get sponsors uh, for their team the whole time. They have these great. Um, attractions at their home games as well that try and keep people interested who may not be there for the football but may want to be there for like a day out so they are trying ways to get people in 
to the invested in the team, whether as a supporter or as a player, as a sponsor, they're, they're, they're taking that professional approach to it. And I think that's something that a lot of teams could look at and, and, and you know, try and replicate to sort of help improve um, the standard of the game over here. And they should, because I think one thing that now we have to be cautious of, and it's fantastic to see the Trojans naturally grow so big and then to implement steps to continue that growth. And, we, and we've seen it, like you said, Lopez came from the, the youth team and now he plays for the senior team and after one year. So getting that youth involvement going is important. But as we see in the smaller teams, you have to grow to that size, right? It's, it's hard to get the kind of player involvement. And I think the league is doing a good job, but has to continue to do a good draw, job to try and encourage and assist the teams in creating that party. It's fantastic to see the Belfast Trojans do it. I hope they keep doing it. But I hope 5, 10, every team in Ireland is aided in following that because that will really, what really drives the standard up. It's fantastic to see one great team. And obviously, as you mentioned, they're, they're not even in the uh, the Shamrock Bowl this season. So that's exciting to see other teams also competing with a club that size. But what we have to do is put in, uh, I think, resources and plans that will help other clubs reach that goal. Because, I mean, I think that's what you see in America. Beyond, of course, you have to have those physically gifted athletes. But the earlier you get guys training in the fundamentals, the better football players you have, and the better football players you have, the better the quality of the product on the pitch, not just for the guys playing it, but for the spectators as well. And getting a spectatorship is also very important for growing the sport. Yes, totally. And, and like I said, congratulations again to, to Lopez Sanuzi. And uh, we wish him all the best. Hopefully we can have him on the show in the near future to talk about his experience in the NFL Academy. And again, congratulations to, to the Trojans to being able to sort of, you know, you know, nurture that sort of talent and, and sort of bring them up through the ranks and hopefully we see more in the future. Let's move on to the news in the NFL itself. And we're going to start with the news that dropped on Tuesday. And that was uh, the NFL announcing the discipline following an independent investigation of integrity of the game policy violations by the Miami Dolphins. That was actually the headline in the email that we received. It's, it's a doozy. But, um, of course, this is the six-month investigation that covered events from 2019 to 2022 that was led by former U.S. Attorney and SEC Chair Mary Jo White. So there was two issues um, there were two subjects that were under investigation. The first was whether the Dolphins violated league rules by provide by uh, league rules, sorry, prohibiting tampering with a player and a coach under contract to other clubs. And to, and the second subject, um, whether during the 2019 season the Dolphins intentionally lost games to improve the club's draft position in the 2020 draft and whether the Dolphins chairman and managing partner, Mr. Stephen Ross, uh, offered head coach Brian Flores financial incentives or otherwise encouraged him to lose games. So um, very quickly on the tampering, um, the Dolphins, it was uh, revealed, had uh, impermissible communications with Tom Brady in 2019 to 2020 while he was under contract with the New England Patriots. The uh, the communication began as early as August 2019 and continued throughout the 2019 season and postseason. Um, these were held by the um, 
can I just see here? Who was it? It was uh, the vice uh, chairman, uh, Bruce Beale, that led these talks with Grady in 2019. It, they did it again in the... Was I gone? You Back. were gone. Yeah. yeah, you were gone. Sorry about that. So uh, I'll just recap there. Sorry, he was... Um, they, they talked to Brady twice in 2019 and in 2021 and while he was with the Patriots and the Bucks, respectively. Um, the second time was not just about becoming the team's quarterback, but also becoming um, a football executive with the Dolphins. Um, when it came to um, encouraging to lose games, this is sort of where I found it a little confusing. So, the Dolph- it was real that the Dolphins did not intentionally lose games in the 2019 season, nor did anyone at the club, including Mr. Ross, instruct Flores to do so. That was in part one. In part two, though, it says, on a number of occasions during the 2019 season, Mr. Ross expressed his belief that the Dolphins' position in the 2020 draft should take priority over the team's win-loss record. So that is, is telling the team to lose games to get a better draft position, surely. So... Yes, yes, Dara, it is, but it's not. It's like, I really think we should prioritize the draft is not the same as saying, I really think we should lose to the Broncos or the Bills or the Cowboys or whoever they're Mm -hmm. playing that week. And I think that's the distinction. And look, it's going to come up a lot, I feel like, with all the talking points we have in the NFL, but it's a semantics game when it gets to that kind of legal situation. Yeah. Um, I'll get on to the next Also, I don't... I don't Sorry, think Miami are the first team to have done this either. Like it, uh, I we've hear often about teams, uh, quote unquote, tanking for a certain player, and like yeah, I think it's happened multiple times. It's just that this was kind of a tack on to the whole um, the tampering uh, situation that they just decided to get them for that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've heard it multiple times about teams, you know, prioritizing yeah, like- their draft position. Yeah, and look, we hear every season when a team's win-loss record is below 500 coming in, coming into the halfway point of the season, you always hear from the pundits saying, "Let they have to look at the draft, they have to look at the draft. So it is a conversation the teams are going to have. I think the reason why this was brought into it, and like you were mentioning it with the tampering uh, reign, but also because, of course, Brian Flores made the comment that he was offered $100,000 to lose games. Um, uh, which the uh, the investigation found not to be true. Not that it was not to be true, but that it was something that was said in jest and was not meant to be taken seriously. So um, it's kind of say it's kind of trying to give both sides saying, yeah, he did say it. We agree with you. He said it, but he didn't actually mean it. Um, so all of this led to. The Dolphins have uh, been forced to forfeit the club's first round selection in 2023 and the third round selection in the 2024 NFL draft. Uh, The owner, Mr. Ross, is suspended through October 17, 2022 um, and fined $1.5 million. Uh, Bruce Beale, the Dolphins vice chairman and limited partner, has also been fined $500,000. It it was a surprise to see that... um, they are going to be losing draft picks over this, that it was established that they were tampering because we did see the reports, especially this off season where Brady was offered to be the, 
the uh, exe- to be an executive as well as the team's QB. I should also mention that they were found guilty of tampering up Sean Payton while he was still under contract with the New Orleans Saints. So for them to be the head coach. So um, it, it, it's not a good look for the Dolphins heading into this season, more for the back office rather than the team itself. But uh, Fiona, I'll start with you. What was your sort of um, reaction to the story, to the news that came out today about the Dolphins? I had kind of two. My first one was, uh, I think they got unlucky. Not unlucky, they shouldn't have done it, but I think this came to light because of uh, the Flores incident and him drawing attention to the team. I'm almost 90% sure this happens on every team, at every position that they're talking to. It, it might not be officially tampering, depending on what the definition is, but I'm sure every every NFL owner... Like they rub shoulders with some of these players all the time, and I'm sure they go, "Hey, what's your interest level? Would you ever think about it?" And I'm, I'm almost sure that counts as tampering. So I'm not surprised that they got done for tampering. I'd say if you really scrutinized every team, you'd probably get them on tampering for some player. And then the other thing that really struck me was we this came up in our group chat, obviously as we were discussing whether to put it on the show or not, and it dawned on me that. This happened so long, like this was brought up so long ago and there's been so many scandals for the NFL this year to name a few of like Washington with uh, Dan Schneider. You have all the other ones with uh, you have the Jags as well. There's another one that I had on the tip of my tongue that I'm forgetting, but like all of them have come true that I nearly forgot what the Dolphins were in trouble for. When you guys said, oh, he's suspended and he's fine and he's all this, I'm like, Jesus, what were the Dolphins doing that I never heard of? It turns out this is what was happening months and months ago that I don't even remember. So, yeah, I think it's been a rough L, uh, rough L off season for the NFL on a on a kind of a sneaky under the radar way. Rain, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, what, what, what stands out to me in this case is that they're getting this very harsh punishment and they didn't even get either of the two guys out of it right Sean Payton is not their head coach Tom Brady is not their quarterback that's got a sting for them that they're now losing a first round draft pick and uh, I think it was a fourth round draft pick as well after that Um, first and third yeah I'm first and third so um yeah look this sort of thing shouldn't happen right it the, the execs should know the rules. It's clearly defined that you can't be tampering with a player under contract. Uh, so I guess, you know, the, the punishment in this case fits the crime, but got to be very, very sore for the uh, for the Dolphins that it's happened to them and uh, they haven't even got the, the player or the coach out of it. Yeah, that's true. And, and basically, I... now all the league knows that they're just shy at tampering. that's true and it it probably looks like they won't get the obviously they're not going to go after Sean Payton there now Mm because Mike McDaniel has just become the head coach and it it looks as though the writing's already on the wall from Mike McCarthy over in Dallas Um, he's already got a vote of confidence he hasn't even played a game yet this season so that's not looking good there for them Um, yeah I think it, it it, it, it's something, yeah, like you mentioned, Fionn, they were so terrible at it and he made it so blatant that the NFL probably looked at them and they were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you know that like we have to do something now. 
Because like you mentioned, like players talk to teams and teams talk to players and coaches talk to teams all the time. All the time it happens, you know. Um, so, and and it could be, you know, seen as tampering if they wanted to nail down on all of these ones. But these were sort of made so obvious. The fact that even Tom Brady was offered the chance to be a, a club executive as well. Um, it just, yeah, it, it just, it, it was so poorly put together by the team. And look, you know, Stephen Ross has had his critics for a long time and, and a lot of um, people close to the Dolphins fans and, and, and next players think that he should be gone. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it's another reason that it's another reason for people who don't like the Dolphins to not like the Dolphins, you know, and so we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens going forward with that. But let's... um. Let's move on to our next news story, and it's uh, some contract news, actually, uh, because it seems as though the wide receiver draft class of 2019 have all gotten their new deals, because we already knew about AJ Brown and Terry McLaurin's new contracts um, from around draft time and just after draft time, but over the weekend, both DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel signed new deals with the Seahawks and 49ers respectively, both signing three-year deals around the $72, $73 million mark. Um, this is after Brown got a four-year, $100 million deal and Terry McLaurin got a three-year, $71 million deal. So everyone's making around the, the same amount of money. Um, very short deals as well for these players because at the end of their deals, Terry McLaurin will be 29, AJ Brown will be 29, Debo Samuel will be 29. DK Metcalf will only be 27. So they still have another chance to go back into the market and get um, and quite a, a substantial pay increase, whether it is with their current teams or it is with someone else. One interesting note to point out, though, that I, I saw a, a tweet from AJ Brown after the Debo Samuel contract was wrapped up. He was the last to get it. That uh, he mentioned, of course, he was the only one to be traded. Of course, he was drafted. He was traded on draft night to the Eagles from the Titans. And the Titans have got went ahead and used their first round pick to go for wide receiver. Um, where have I? I've got it here. Sorry. Uh, wide receiver uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas as his replacement. So this could be something that they may regret. Um, and it may also, it's going to be very interesting in week 13 when the Titans visit Lincoln Financial Field against the Eagles. But, uh, Rain, I'll start with you on this one. Your reaction to sort of the deals and, you know, the, the length of the contracts and, and the sort of the, the money that's uh, being made out of this. Yeah, it, look, it just goes to show the level of kind of influence and power the wide receivers are now having in the market. Because a couple of years ago, a three-year contract for a guy coming off his rookie contract was unheard of, right? You might get your $100 million contract, but it'd be over five years. Now they're wanting to get that second payday before they turn 30, and uh, everybody seems to be getting it. Um, what I will say about the Debo Samuel contract is he's now earning so much money that I don't think they're going to play him uh, at running back at all. Maybe a little bit, but uh, not to the extent that they had. Uh, last season so I'd question whether we're going to see uh, the same level of production out of him um, but I mean yeah the likes of McLaren the likes of uh, DK Metcalf you know the player that you're getting there uh, you know that's a solid solid player that's going to be good for the duration of their contract uh, so why not pay them now because the, the market seems to be constantly going up so 
uh, in a couple of years' time, these might look like good value deals. Oh, yeah, I, I said that as well, When especially when the McLaren deal came out. I said, if you're paying your wide receiver basically $25 million a year or under by the end of that contract, that's going to be cheap. And what I like about the first two that you talked about, the little bit longer contracts, you get that extra value right at the end. And I'm a little bit surprised that the Seahawks couldn't convince uh, Metcalf to go for a slightly longer because, as you mentioned, he's also younger. So he's going to be 27 coming off a three-year contract. You mentioned, I think, McLaren's going to be 29 coming off his four-year contract. So they couldn't have given Metcalf a four-year contract, and he still would have been younger coming out of it than McLaren. So I think well, maybe the Seahawks have left some money on the table unless they're hoping that he stays productive but plateaus a little bit in that they can kind of re-up almost for similar money, and they're kind of hoping maybe... The, the roof gets hit on that wide receiver market a little bit because for me it doesn't make sense well i think i think it's more on dk's side that he didn't want to commit for longer because of the issues around the qb position you know Maybe. because until they know who their next qb is going to be and if it's going to be productive i think maybe he's looking at it that way i'll still sign for these three years i'll get my bag um uh, I will look and I'll give the team three years to to sort out the QB position. If they don't, then I'm still 27. I can still go to a team and be extremely productive and move on to a team where I can uh, chase that ring. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for me, it doesn't really make sense, though, from a Seahawks perspective, right? Because at the moment, mm-hmm. it doesn't really look like they're in a position that they're going to be challenging for uh, Super Bowls or anything like that in the next three years. So why keep a guy like DK Metcalf around uh, on such a large contract when you can kind of get rid of him, get some draft capital and uh, rebuild with a quarterback as opposed to uh, trying to do what they're doing at the moment with um, with the quarterbacks that they have? And the reality is as well, they're, they're coming thick and fast. These are no longer ultra rare one in a draft class. I mean, what is these are all from the same draft class, basically, maybe within yeah. one or two years. That's four, no, all the same year, same year. That's four top notch, like top notch, no matter what team you're talking about. Wide receivers, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of wide receiver talent now coming out of college. And I just don't think I agree with Rena a lot here. In that, yeah, if you, if you, you don't know how bad these quarterbacks are going to be, and it really feels like the Seahawks think they're going to be somewhere in the middle ground as in they're not, they're not tanking. They're not officially tanking. They're not unofficially tanking. They really think they can be at least competitive with the two guys they have in the stable at the moment. And that Mm -hmm. really sells you like though, but they're not top tier. And so where, what benefit does the wide receiver have? If everyone knows he's your top wide receiver, everyone knows you don't have a top tier quarterback. So he's going to struggle to go to his number two man. I'd much rather the Seahawks beat me with their number two than with DK Metcalf. And if that's the case, why not save all that money, let him go, try and find a diamond in the rough and kind of build up your whole system from the ground up? Well, it could also be, and and this is just, you know, trying to, just thinking out loud here, but like you mentioned, Fionn and and Rain too, that the caliber, like... The, the the talent of wide receivers coming out of college, it's not like it used to be where they need a season or two to 
to acclimatize to the NFL. These guys are coming in straight away and um, have uh, being productive straight away. Look at what we've seen last year with with even just Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. They came into the league and they were productive right away. So I think teams are more are, are are less you know inclined to to if they have a, a really talented receiver to to give them as much money as possible to keep hold of them maybe there wasn't a market for dk either possibly like they maybe the seahawks did try and, and that tells you something too dara then if if yeah. no one else is biting and you still want to pay him that big contract that yeah. should tell you something well look i mean it's just maybe it makes it better then for for the seahawks and, and the fan base to keep DK around because like look look they they they've lost a lot this uh this past off season they've lost Russ and they've lost Bobby Wagner two of the most probably popular players on the team if they were to lose someone like DK as well I don't know if the fan base would have handled that as well so maybe there was also a PR side of keeping him on the team too. Another thing to remember is, you know, Pete Carroll is a wily old fox, okay? He may very well have his eye on a quarterback in the next draft or the draft after that uh, that he thinks is going to be able to come in and basically perform straight away. So the best time to make a Super Bowl run is when your quarterback is on a a rookie contract, right? Because they're not the ones who are taking up all of the cap. So you want to spend your money elsewhere, and maybe they think, because they have invested in that O-line, right? We saw that that O-line was traditionally awful uh, for the past, I guess, five years. Um, they have invested there. They have a decent crop of wide receivers. I mean, uh, what's the other guy's name? Lockett. Uh, Lock yeah, you know, he's getting old at this stage, but he's still serviceable. Uh, so maybe they feel like there is a Super Bowl run. Uh, somewhere in the near future that will involve a rookie quarterback. Well, Pete Carroll better hope so, because I think he's threading the needle of wily old fox and dithery old coos. And I think a couple of mm. wrong decisions are going to make it look like he's circling the toilet really quickly. Yeah, there, there, there is a seat in there and it could be getting hot. Um, there could be question marks. If, but it sounds if the like season... he's part ownership now at this point, and that seat will never get hot, and that's the problem. Like, no matter how bad he performs, it's always mm-hmm. someone else's fault. It's not Pete Carroll that's the problem. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, look, it was the offensive coordinator's fault two years ago. It was the defensive coordinator's fault last year. You know, so look, it, you know, it could be, it could be a, like, or was it Russ's hand that was a fault last year? You know, yeah, you, ha- you could have a point there, Fiona. And look, only time will tell. These game, this season will tell, you know, if they go, you know, two and 15, then I don't think he can point many fingers at anyone else. um, Because he's been, he's been given the, not well not he's like you're saying he's always had the keys to the mansion but he's been given the 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 power to get rid of the quarterback he's been to bring in his own people and to change things around and so we'll have to wait and see what happens there we'll move on to our last piece of news and we mentioned there at the start that training camp is is well underway at this stage you're going into week two pads are going on the players as well which is great um i don't know about used to but uh, you still find it weird to adjust to seeing them wear those big like helmet things over their helmets it's really weird to see uh, not really like uh, the college like have been doing football, it for a long but... time 
Yeah, it's it's a bit peewee football. And look, I know it's for safety and, and look, you know, I'd rather all the players be safe and, and stuff and, and to avoid injury. But this is the thing. We can't avoid injury because um, some injuries are starting to come true. Um, first of all, probably the most high-profile one, um, and we'll spend a few minutes on this, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers centre, Ryan Jensen, who went down with a knee injury and looks like most of, if not his whole season, is done. Um, the reason why this is so um, probably detrimental to the team is, um, first of all, he is a Pro Bowl center. He has been um, Tom Brady's guy since he moved to, ta- to Tampa Bay. But they also lost their two guards on either side of him, which was Ali Marpet, who retired, and, of course, uh, Alex Kappa, who moved to the Bengals in free agency. Um, so their whole in- inside of their in offensive line has sort of had a lot of changes and, and especially with an aging Tom Brady and, you know, what could be his last year. Um, it is difficult that, you know, you're going to have to slot guys in there and it's difficult to get the cohesion going. But Rian, um, I'll start with you on this, you know, like, like as a quarterback yourself, you know how important it is to have that uh, offensive line intact and to have, you know, um, them uh, uh, to have a connection together with them. Absolutely, yeah. Look, consistency is one of the uh, the the best things you can have on an offensive line. Uh, I think you know that from watching the Seahawks, and I know that from watching the Panthers for these last few years. It's been a constant rotating door of guards, tackles, all that sort of thing. And I think for for whatever reason, that the Buccaneers always seem to pull it out. Right? They always seem to have a tough, mean offensive line that gets the job done. And I think they're in a really good position at the moment with Tom Brady as their quarterback, right? He gets rid of the ball nice and quickly, but this is still going to hurt for them. Losing their three internal guys on that offensive line, it's going to be tough to run in the trenches uh, specifically. And um, yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be different for Tom Brady having a new center uh, snapping him the football this season, aged 44 or 45 or whatever he is, that's going to be a, a, a tough thing to adjust to. Yeah, and the guards are going to be a problem as well. Like you said, Ren, big time on the run game, uh, but also in terms of blocking, pulling, all sorts of stuff, the, the guards are really important. And and with all those three interior guys gone, that's I think that's a big problem. And this might be the biggest challenge the books have faced in a couple of years, they might struggle here in the in the regular season. We'll see how it goes in the first couple of weeks. Yeah, and this yeah, is look, they do been... have. Sorry, uh, they do sorry, have a quarterback who gets the ball out quickly, uh, mm-hmm. and they do have a top class brood of wide receivers there who can get open nice and quickly. So I wouldn't be too concerned. They may not run the ball as much as they did uh, last season, but I think the books are still going to win that division. They're still going to make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, yeah. It'll just it'll just be a matter of uh, because a lot of teams have those kind of rotation offensive linemen, and they t- they tend to either rotate the outside positions or the inside positions. So to have all three guys gone on the interior, that's really going to test how much depth you have at the offensive line. But as Rian very astutely pointed out, if there's any team that's set up to deal with a rough offensive line. It's certainly the or the Buccaneers. Yeah, and very quickly on on, on the Buccaneers, we were talking about in the um, 
the news uh, came through last week as well that Julio Jones signed a one-year deal with the team to add to their um, massive wide receiving core of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones now, and of course they got Russell Gage in free agency as well. Um, you know, it's it's it. They're definitely giving Tom Brady as many weapons as they can. Um, maybe for this, you know, last hurrah. I mean, it has to be at some point, right? Like he can't play when he's seventy. That's for sure. So at some point between now and then, he has to retire. So I guess every year is the last hurrah until he tells us, "Yeah, I'm gone." Reen, what do you think yourself? Yeah, I, I've just since that Julio Jones news broke, I've been having nightmares. You know, he's been uh, a nightmare for all of that NFC South division, but particularly for the Panthers. We saw him, I think it was 2016, he had a 300 yard game against the Panthers. So I don't think he's going to do that this season. He's 33 years old, he's not the same player he was in 2016, but still, adding a player like Jones with that level of experience particularly in the South, right? That's going to be a massive benefit to the team. Even if it's not mm-hmm. to, you know, contribute with snaps, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a massive contribution in terms of uh, just just that wealth of knowledge that he has that he can spread to those other wide receivers on the team. Yeah. And we saw what happened when they brought in an experienced sort of wide receiver tree to help out the team and Antonio Brown in the uh, 2020 2020 season, they went and won the Super Bowl, and um, despite obviously his off-field issues, so um, they it does work having that one. Obviously, with the new head coach and Todd Bowles as well, it'd be interesting to see what happens, what happens there. But I think that is a perfect place to wrap up this part of the show. Um, Rian, you're going to be leaving us after this part, but how have you felt your first uh, show as a full-time member of the Under Center podcast? I think it went pretty well. Uh, I'm going to have to upgrade my internet, I think. There's a bit of a delay there, but um, yeah, look, we'll get that sorted for the next time I'm on. Well, I think I have to upgrade mine because my, I, I dropped out during the middle of it. I think the only one with a stable connection here is Fionn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll let him host next time. We'll be fine. Uh, so, like I said, um, make sure you're following us on all our social channels. You see them there on the screen. If you're listening to the audio version, at Undercenter Pod for Instagram and Twitter, um, Undercenter Podcasts on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe to them. Follow us on the social channels. We kept up to date with the latest shows. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be speaking to Alex Collins about um, all things NFL and looking at his film breakdown of various players around the league and you're welcome back to the second half of today's under center podcast dara here with you fion and rain have had to step out for this part but i'm not alone because i'm delighted to be joined by alex collins you may know him from his youtube channel alex collins nfl uh, alex it's been it's great to speak to you how are you doing well man i know uh you guys are you're doing you're a little later over there and you're a little bit of a night owl right now, so I appreciate you uh, uh, creating a little bit of time at the night, and uh, I'm ready to talk about football, man. I'm, uh, I'm fired up that uh, we're connecting and that uh, even with you all the way over there at the middle of the night, we're, we're going to chop it up. 
Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I'm just getting my body ready for the late nights when the league starts again. Um, so I'm just, you know, I, I'm I'm getting ready for the season just as much as the players are. It's just in a different way. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I've been in Europe before and watching trying to watch the Sunday night football games or Monday night. It is it is not it is not fun at all and impossible in some ways if you got something to do the next day. So so I salute you. I know you got your Seahawks coming up Monday night, so. We'll see. Uh, well, I hope the body is ready by then. Uh, I hope so too. I hope so too. Look, look, Alex. I would say I am a, a big fan of your YouTube channel. I've been uh, watching you now for a little bit of time, and I'm delighted now that we were able to get you on the show for the chat itself. We're we're heading into the season here now, and obviously, there's a whole new batch of draft class coming into the league too, and stuff, and like. Is this a particularly exciting time for you to see all these practice tape and to see like how um, players are either veteran players are adjusting to new teams and, and you know, draftees coming into the league adjusting to the pace of, of NFL? Oh, definitely. I'm I'm such a nerd, honestly, about all this stuff. And even just I, I love the all 22 angle, which I use for my videos, of course. But just trying to parse through seeing these reporters take these little videos and trying to get these little snippets of whether it's man, whether it's zone, what kind of concepts teams are running. I, I love that kind of stuff. I put some of that stuff on my Twitter when I can. And yeah, I mean, you, you can feel the excitement in the air. I, I'm a big fantasy guy. I know you are too. And getting that going, it's just everything is just bubbling up in this, in this incredibly exciting way. And uh, I, I can't wait. I think it's going to be a fantastic year and yeah, I'm, I'm unbelievably excited, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Now, the one part we do have to get through is, of course, those pesky preseason games. You know, the, the, they make us sit through so that we can um, really appreciate when the actual regular season begins. And do you sort of look uh, at those uh, games in depth to see, you know, concept or offensive or defensive concepts that may you may see obviously brought into the regular season, obviously with, with different personnel. Yeah, it's very challenging. It's a really good question. I think you have to take a little bit of a kind of a deeper, more, more laid back view with the games and not, not over evaluate everything. If you're, if you do see some things, that's not necessarily a guarantee that those will keep popping up during the season. I think one thing I look for is just the, the temperament of some of the guys. I, I think it's, important to kind of feel out whether or not they're they're comfortable in this setting or if things are a little overwhelming if you suddenly if you're a quarterback and you get a free runner not necessarily what his stats are against the blitz or against pressure but just how, how is he reacting in those situations I think that's what I try and look for a little bit more uh, the NFL I just got access to all 22 for the first time for preseason last year so it, it was a little bit of an adjustment process of just trying to figure out how much importance to put on it. Um, but yeah, looking at Trey Lance, for example, last year, I was trying to feel out how much of what I'm watching in these preseason games is going to be important. And I, I, I think it can be challenging for sure, but it's definitely, it's definitely an important tool. And we see some guys pop off in the preseason who are nobodies. And then suddenly within the year, within the next few years, they become big time names. So I, I think it's a valuable tool, but it, it's challenging for sure. Yeah. And and Trey is a, is a perfect example because we do see obviously each team's own personal social media accounts, you know, hype up the, the, the big 
the big plays from any sort of training session and you not, know, not two is though necessarily no not two is no not, that's very <laughs> true you know he, he throws a pass to Tyreek and everyone just criticizes that it was a, a noodle ball for for you know but um like there was a couple of videos of Trey last year you know um after he'd been drafted by the 49ers and you know, you know, being obviously we mentioned off air, like being a Seahawks fan, like you kind of you do pay attention to other teams in your division, and you see the hype that other fans get. Like, I, and and something is is that something that you try to look at as well, sort of with a level head too, saying, yeah, okay, um, he has thrown this, you know, sixty yards, you know, bomb to, uh, let's just say Debo Samuel for example. And then, but you're you sort of thinking your head, okay, but what other plays has he messed up on that has been intercepted, and that has that he hasn't actually, um, you know, gone through his progressions, hasn't done the right sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really easy. That kind of reminds me of your question of just pro days when we're watching these college guys. I think we it's so easy to get enamored with the big throw or just one on one. Nine, almost everybody in the NFL can complete. Just about every pass. I think I, I did a video on Tua a couple months ago, and I, I was very critical of him, but he can still throw the ball 65 yards where he wants to. I, I think where the issue comes forward is that it's just a matter of consistency. So even seeing one play on Twitter or a reporter tweeting a play or something, it's, well, A, there isn't necessarily it's not necessarily a live rep with guys trying to take his head off, but B it's also, it's how many of those plays can you make? It's not, can you make the one play? All these guys are so, so, so good. So I think it's really the NFL, especially a quarterback comes down to consistency. And so I'm never really overvaluing these clips, to be honest with you. And I think once the live bullets are flying somewhat of preseason, as we talked about, but that's where I'll really start to say, okay, is this is this is this something to monitor right now? But I think the clips for preseason, more so on Twitter and whatnot, are just to see, okay, maybe Saquon's playing in the slot more, things like that, where you can say, okay, I'm starting to see a different different range of outcomes for this player. I think that's more what we can what we can get out of preseason training camp and and then preseason, it's kind of, there's a term in fantasy, it's, it's a slow drum beat for maybe you'll hear about a player slowly starting to get more reps, and then he's starting to play more positions, or the snap count's going up, or he's kind of becoming the featured back if he's a running back. And I think that's kind of the same in terms of how we can monitor these stories going from training camp to preseason into the season. It's kind of a slow drum beat that gets louder and louder, and these stories really start to crit crystallize as time goes on oh, yeah uh, and and let's actually move over to sort of your own youtube channel itself because um what what got you uh, interested in starting up the a youtube channel breaking down uh, all of this game tape in the first place yeah so a long time ago in like 2016 i did this thing called scouting scouting academy which is put on by dan hatman uh, who was an ex-NFL executive, and it introduced me to the All-22 game film. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, I implore you to go check it out. You can just Google it. NFL Game Pass has uh, the best product, but also a shoddy product, but that's that's for another discussion. Um, 
but it really just blew my mind watching that angle. It zooms out. It shows all 22 players uh, whenever I'm explaining kind of what I do to people who aren't familiar with it. Uh, just talk about how on the broadcast, you can't see the safeties. The play starts, the receivers, most of them run off the screen. And the context of what those guys are doing is unbelievably critical to what is happening on the field to the point to a point where you almost really can't tell. And then hopefully the broadcast shows a shows a replay or something. Uh, so in 2016, that just that my mind was just blown. I didn't realize what how much of the context of just a game that we're missing. Um, I actually I started watching Brett Coleman, who most likely a lot of you are familiar with, who's also a, a film breakdown expert. And he actually kind of helped me get my start, which was really special and incredible of him. And I would just developed a really strong passion for the game. I think all the lingo is fascinating. I think all the strategy is just so interesting. And I just learned as much as I can with playbooks and online resources and just bouncing questions off of coaches on Twitter. And yeah, then it, uh, I started doing it full time in 2019 and, um, it did, it did, well enough that I'm, I've been doing it full time for, for a while now. Um, so I'm incredibly passionate. I'm a fan and I really love making the content and I love that people feel like they learned something from it. Uh, and you mentioned there that you moved to full time in 2019. What, at what point did you realize then, or was there a certain video that you uploaded that did quite well that you thought, right. Okay. So there's, I've got something here. There's potential here to, to sort of make this a uh, take take a career path down this way, yeah. So it's 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 a pretty crazy story, honestly. I decided I was going to try and cover a team to try and gain a fan base because I was almost starting from nothing, and I decided to choose. I was going to follow the Rams. This was after the Rams Patriots Super Bowl. And I was thinking, okay, Sean McVay, Jared Goff, these guys are fascinating, and I was going to work with a blog to try and put out videos uh, and then have the the blog also post the videos and hopefully gain a little more traction that way. And there was just kind of this, this weird miscommunication with the guy who owned the blog. Uh, and so I, I grew up in Oakland and I decided to pivot to the Niners who were just coming off their two and 14 season. And I said, okay, Kyle Shanahan, he's really interesting too. They're local. I'll do them. And that was the Super Bowl year. And in my in week three, I posted a video uh, called the 49ers offense devastates defenses, something like that. And it did really, really well in terms of viewership. And that's when I kind of knew I, I had something. Uh, so it was it was a, a great stroke, stroke of luck. And um, it, it happened relatively quickly, which was, I think, definitely helpful for my heart. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm perfect. And it's been great that you've you've never had to sort of look back since and you've been able to sort of keep going forward with, with the videos as well. Um, and obviously with some of the videos, uh, we wanted to ask your opinion on some of the, um, you know, stories heading into this current NFL season. And probably the best place to start with is... I'd say probably the biggest move of the off season. And that of course was Russell Wilson moving to the Broncos. And the question is, um, and, and this is 
again coming from a Seahawks fan point of view. So you're going to tell me that he's going to be awful, but I know we both know that that's not true. Um, with him coming into an environment in Denver where he's with uh, like the total opposite in terms of head coach where he was with the experienced Pete Carroll. He's going into now with a, a rookie head coach in Nathaniel Hackett. Do you think he's going to be able to impose his game or his play style more on the Broncos rather than maybe the Broncos sort of, you know, setting up a, an offensive scheme that he has to work around? Yeah, definitely. I, I made a video recently about him and it became clear watching especially last year and then just years in the past for for a long time for his whole career really the he runs the Seahawks have just really run one offense with him he's he's kind of he's so brilliant but at the same time he's so limited in what I think is this really fascinating way where over time these different offenses with Schottenheimer or uh, their new coordinator last year is escaping me, Waldron. These offenses just kind of melt into this same basic structure where Russ ends up running the same sorts of sort of concepts. He pretty much ignores the middle of the field, runs a ton of play action, loves throwing bombs outside, loves to run around and extend the play. And over time in these different offenses, they end up just kind of being that same style over time. So there was recently a quote from Nathaniel Hackett. And I know a lot of coaches say this, it's not necessarily some sort of bombshell that Hackett's dropping on us, but he said, this is going to be the Russell Wilson offense. And I really, I really believe that I'm, I think we can project pretty cleanly. Some of his offensive weapons. I think Sutton is his DK Metcalf. I think Jerry Judy, maybe KJ Hamler will be his Tyler Lockett. The Seahawks have always, of course, been a very run-heavy team. And with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon and the Broncos now, I think those guys are arguably, well, I guess I won't put put them above Marshawn, of course, that's sacrilege. But that's a very strong tandem. Javante could explode as as a lot of of people are projecting and potentially to do. So I do think that this... I think Hackett's just going to watch what Russ has always done, build it around him. I don't think he's going to try and force him to do things that he's not comfortable with. I use, I'm, I'm a fan of some of the stuff that PFF does pro football focus. And they have these great graphs where they show where a quarterback targets compared to the league average. And the blue is where he doesn't target as much compared to league average. Red is where he targets more. And it's pretty much, I kind of likened it to a to a bald man, basically, where the hair on the sides is where Russ throws to nonstop, and then everything in the middle is blue. And that's just always been the Russ offense. And it kind of sounds like a bad thing, and I think some people took my video to be sort of negative, that he can only run this one style of offense. But this is a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. This is a guy who has mastered this style of offense. I think sometimes we see some of the shortcomings in the playoffs. I think that's where this style of offense does have those hangups where there isn't as much success with how much the Seahawks have been going to the playoffs. So I think from a ceiling perspective, it is kind of a bad thing because Russ and this offense do, do have limitations, but 
it will be an incredibly fun offense to watch. It'll be super productive. There might be a week or two at the beginning. Well, I mean, I won't say that because they're playing the Seahawks defense. So I think they'll be pretty, pretty all right week one. It's <laughs> if a you sleeper know what defense, I mean, there, Alex. It's, it's a, a sleeper, sleeper defense. It's a sleeper defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Russ isn't uh, wanting to go and tear it up in uh, week one in Seattle. There. No, definitely. Um, <laughs> but I, it's, it's. He's had so much success, and I'm very excited to see what they're going to do. I think also what's important to remember, he was elite the first four or five weeks before he had that finger injury. I mean, you go back and look at his film, you look at his stats. He was one of the best quarterbacks easily, top two, top three in the first couple weeks. And then he had that weird finger injury, and it's pretty hard to throw footballs when your finger is messed up. And then he came back maybe too soon and whatnot. So I think people are even looking at last year and saying, oh, he's falling off, things like this. But I mean, we saw him last year be really good. So I'm I'm very excited. I think the Broncos will bring pretty much this exact style of offense to Denver because <laughs> they do play in Denver. I think that's what Hackett's going to do. And I think the Broncos are going to be a really, really good offense and a really good team. Excellent. And uh, just with the... Uh, also in that video you mentioned sorry about when it comes to later on in the year and we comes up, up against you know maybe not just elite defenses but very very good defenses um in a division that's as stacked as the AFC West is with um you know the the moves that the Chargers have made on defense the same with the the Raiders and of course the Chiefs too that um a lot of the time, Russ, a lot of the games, well, at least like eight games a year now, or sorry, six games a year. Sorry, my apologies. Six games a year. He's coming up against really, really good defenses. Um, is is there is there a concern there that, like you mentioned, with, with Russ's tendency to want to throw the, the, the moon ball, which obviously there's no one in the NFL that probably throws a better sort of moon ball than that. And, like you're saying, his reluctance to find the middle of the field and to sort of, you know, keep the chains going. Um, is there a chance that, you know, that the, the offense could stall um, when it comes to maybe the second half of the season? Yeah, I think, well, if looking at the division, I think the Chargers are definitely a defense that's up and coming. They struggled in a lot of ways last year, but just with the talent they have in, in Staley's second year, they do project to be really good. I wouldn't really worry about the Chiefs defense and the Raiders defense is going to be they've just been below average for a long time. And I, I don't see them having the pieces to necessarily make a big jump in any way. So in terms of in the division, I'm not too worried. But I think I think what's important to note is last year there was a huge cultural shift in NFL defenses where very generally speaking, the NFL went from a one high safety defense so that's predominantly cover one, cover three, and transition to more two high safeties, cover two, cover two zone, cover two man, cover four quarters, et cetera. And what's interesting about that is we've never really seen Russ exist in the league when two high safeties were the predominant style of defense. Right around during the Legion of Boom, 2012, 2013, when he came in, everybody started copying the Legion of Boom, started playing pretty much predominantly one high two, uh, excuse me, one higher cover three zone. And 
why that's important for the style that Russ plays is, as you mentioned, Dara, the he loves throwing the moon ball. Predominantly, that's the outside moon balls. So pretty much the one-on-one routes outside. And as I just said, with the heat maps, he throws a lot of them. And what's challenging with that is with a second high safety, now each of those defenders have one half of the field. So if we're if he's facing cover one man, there's just one high safety in the middle. It's pretty easy for him to throw a fade outside to DK because that one high safety can't necessarily bust his ass all the way over to the sideline and get there. So historically, when Russ does face two high defenses, I'm sure you remember last year during COVID, or I guess two years ago, against the Rams in that wild card round, there was a lot of struggles, and Staley was kind of the guy who brought in the too high style of defense, kind of copied off Vic Fangio, but really made his defensive philosophy. That was really what his defense was all about, where Fangio mixes it up a little bit more. So I think it'll be really interesting to see Russ in, a, in over an entire year try and figure out these two high defenses when he doesn't have that option to say, okay, there's one high safety in the dead middle. I have Cortland Sutton, Sutton over to the right. He's one-on-one. I know he's going to be one-on-one because that safety can't get over there. I'm just going to be the best freaking deep ball thrower in the league and hit him down the sideline. That option gets taken away much more often before the snap and after the snap with these two high safeties. So I think Russ is still a very, very good quarterback, but I'm very curious to see if he struggles a little bit more statistically, if he doesn't have necessarily as big of a blow up year because he's still trying to figure out those two high defenses and they're kind of taking his his go-to away, if you will. But when defenses play two high safeties and take that second safety out of the box and put him deep, that takes one man out of the box and makes it more advantageous for the run, which is why Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon are so important. So that's kind of the give and take that I love in football where, okay, we want to stack somebody over here and make this part of our defense a strength. Well, that means we're taking this part of our defense away and making it a weakness. So that's what I think will be fascinating. But I, I do worry a little bit about how well Russ will adapt to this new-ish style of defense. Yeah. Well, moving on from, you know, the the quarterback, biggest quarterback move of the season to probably one of the biggest quarterback deals of the offseason, and that's, of course, Kyler Murray. And uh, Murray has taken a step forward each year he's been in the NFL and he's obviously topped it off by getting the Cardinals to the playoffs last season, albeit um losing um first first go against the eventual Super Bowl champion Rams. Um it feels although the progression is there, you can see it in the stats and you alluded to it in your video as well. It feels as though there's still something off when it comes to to Murray. And if it's the, you know, the second half of the season collapses, which is obviously well, well documented as well. And, and obviously with this new deal, it, it kind of feels like it's a, um, a deal that the Cardinals had to make out of fear of being left behind if they let Murray go. Um, but, um, Alex, what what about Kyler's game is 
do you well first of all like and then secondly have some concerns over especially now that he's after signing this a long extension with the team yeah it's it's pretty fascinating to watch kyler i actually did this kyler video first and then i did the rust video and stylistically they're extremely similar kyler even more so though kyler is kind of the the heightened in every category version of russ where the Cardinals offense is very regimented where Cliff basically, he doesn't really move his receivers around. He's going to have DeAndre Hopkins to the left, Adrian Green to the right. They got Rondale Moore who got injured, but he was a slot guy. Christian Kirk was a slot guy. Those are going to be their guys in their positions. And then they're going to run screen passes. They're going to run hitches outside and they're going to run fades or goes outside as well or alert routes which basically just means if we see a one-on-one, we're going to throw it. So it's it's very interesting watching them because they kind of only do a couple things in the passing game where there's not necessarily a lot of different elements they're mixing in. But Kyler is such an unbelievable talent that in a lot of ways he makes it work. I think, in my opinion, I think he has one of the strongest arms in the league, and I don't think that really gets talked about but when he's throwing those one-on-ones outside, those deep fades to to, to Green or to D-Hop, those are unbelievable throws. I mean, the not just the not just the distance, but the velocity on them, the way the way he paces them. I don't think he's necessarily as good as Russ, who can really get that really nice style of ball where where it really drops in from almost the sky and just lands right in that bread basket. But Kyler is a very very talented thrower. I think that his ability with his legs is incredible. Obviously, if you just watch him, it's it's not hard to see. That is a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams. And what he can do with his legs adds a whole nother element to the Cardinals offense where you need to prepare for it. And watching defenses, it, it doesn't really matter a lot of the times because he's he's that talented. This is a very iso team almost like basketball where they are going to have their guys in those different positions or those same positions excuse me and it's a very vertical and then horizontal offense where they're going to try and throw deep outside and that's the vertical element and then they're going to throw those screens and there's just not a lot of in between there's not a lot of kyler is another guy very similar to russ he will not throw over the middle Similar, exactly like Russ, their whole center of the field is just blue. It's it's insane. He does have struggle seeing over the middle of the field. He has trouble seeing linebackers where they are. He's not comfortable throwing a, throwing in breakers, throwing dig routes, and that's that's a problem. I I think after watching him and watching Russ, Russ's feet are so quiet in the pocket. He is he takes his drop. He's surveying around the field. Kyler has the loudest footwork of any quarterback in the league. It is an absolute mess. He struggles so much to stay in structure and play within the timing of the concepts. And we see that play out. There are these spike weeks, and then there are these big fall-off weeks, like we saw in the playoffs, where if he's not in the rhythm that is necessary for this offense to play in, he's going to really struggle. He already isn't playing over the middle of the field. 
They are very regimented in what they do, where if you are able to take away those go routes, are able to take away those screen routes, there's just not a lot else they can turn to and really hang their hat on. I think that since they're so vertical outside or they're so isolated outside, Kyler's only as good as the talent around him. And now that he's gotten paid, we're not going to see those guys be big name guys like they are right now. I think we have Hollywood, we have D hop, AJ green's kind of declining. We have some really good pieces right now, but down the road, I'm just worried about how good they're, they're going to be able to surround him, how good of a team they're going to be able to surround him with. And I think that when Kyler, when things go bad with Kyler, he's just going to take off and run. And from a down-by-down perspective in a game, that's usually a really good thing. He is arguably the most athletic, fastest person on the field anytime he's playing football. And if he, sometimes it's, if he, he can get to his second and third read, but sometimes if that first first read isn't there, he's just going to run. He is absolutely petrified of getting hit. He, if he sees a free runner, instead of standing in there, holding the ball a tick longer, letting the receiver get down the field, he's going to fall on his ass on purpose, which I have never seen before in my life. A quarterback who says, not only am I, I'm not going to, not only am I not going to bail out of this throw and kind of fade back and, and not take the entire brunt of the hit, I'm just going to sit my little butt down. And that's, that's Kyler. He's not willing to play out the entire play and will even, when you're not able, when you're taking away elements of playing the quarterback position, like seeing a free runner, seeing an extra guy coming and being willing to take that hit, that's an aspect of quarterback play that you're just taking off Kyler's plate and saying, okay, he can't do this. And I think that's kind of the issue with his game where there are these little things that just aren't available to him where he can't throw over the middle. He can't get to his second, third, fourth read consistently. He can do it. And he's not willing to take the big hit, which is challenging. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my studio right now taking zero hits. So, so I'm not saying I would necessarily either, but when we remove these different parts of the quarterback position, I think that's where we suddenly see this, this bomb of a game where that playoff game against the Rams was a nightmare. And I'm, I'm worried about the ceiling of this offense with Kyler and that that sort of game when they play a defense that's really good and knows how to keep him in the pocket and not let him run. I'm worried that those games are going to continue when we get into January and we're not playing the Jaguars or the Browns or something that when we play these legit defenses, does Kyler have what it takes to stand in there and make that throw and sit in the pocket and read things out and throw over the middle? I don't think so. Yeah. And, 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 and the comparisons to Russ are obviously just, and, and one comparison that I do see as well with him is he's had to play behind a, you could say limited or quite average offensive line at times as well during his time with the Cardinals. And with this uh, extension too, and like you're saying, like they won't be able to get the big talent in that they were able to get when he was on his rookie contract. It looks as though that maybe not as much money is going to be able to be allocated to the offensive line as maybe as they once previously were able to. 
which means that maybe we might end up seeing a lot more of, like you're saying, Kyler running for his life and not being able to spend uh, or not being able to, to spend too much time in the pocket. Yeah. And I, I think it's really challenging because usually with Kyler, I mean, his first half splits versus second half splits are drastic. And I think we've seen him get banged up. I'm pretty sure every year he's missed a little bit of time. And in those first four or five, six weeks of the season, when he could run around as much as he want, when his arm is healthy, he makes unbelievable plays. I know against the Browns, he was, he was just, just destroying them. He had a game against the Vikings. He makes unbelievable plays. And it's so tricky because like I said, on a down by down basis, he's incredible. And if these plays are gaining you big yardage and you're picking up 15 or 20, cause Kyler rolls out and, and runs 20 yards down the field. It's challenging to come have him come back to the field and be like, Hey man, by the way, you should have stayed in the pocket and taken a hit, but then we would have gotten 40 yards. How do you coach him to be better? It's, it's very challenging. I don't think it's necessarily black and white where to say, okay, Kyler, you need to do this better. But I think that this will be an issue going forward where over time, Kyler's not going to develop into that elite, elite quarterback that maybe he has the tools to, to potentially be because he's kind of the way I kind of see it. He's, he's like a little kid in his development where he's almost not taking real reps because when a guy comes and he just rolls out of the pocket and runs for first down, he's not processing that in a way like a true, true quarterback. The result is very good. Don't get me wrong. And it's, it's, it's ideal to have that style of quarterback, but it's almost like if your dad is doing your homework for you, so you don't fail where whenever he needs to, he can just use his legs all of a sudden and not really take a real rep. So I, I think it's, it's very difficult because he is so unbelievably gifted where he can just make that play whenever he wants. But when a team knows how to corral him in the pocket, just a little bit more, and it comes down to a big third and nine in a playoff game, I don't think he'll have the answers in the future unless something changes pretty drastically. Very good. I like the, um, we'll call it a Freudian slip there about someone else doing his homework now with his new clause in his contract. <laughs> we'll call it that. <laughs> yeah, or should I say not in his contract because they took it out actually, didn't they, in the end? Yeah, um, so uh, nobody's nobody's allowed to clown him anymore because the, the contract, the, the clause is out, right? So. Of course, so, yes, he yeah. can go back to uh, not doing his uh, homework for four hours a week. Yeah, just hit, hitting the sticks, man. Oh, man. Um, listen, Alex, we could talk all night long, and I could keep you here for hours and hours talking about it, So, but I'm only going to ask about one more player um, before we let you go, and it's actually one of the players that came in, are coming is coming into the league this year from the draft, and that is uh, Aiden Hutchinson, who was – Number one on a lot of people's drafts, drafts, drafts board. Sorry, um, uh, but the Jaguars decided not to take him first overall. Of course, going for Trayvon Walker instead. Um, and you um put up a video with some concerns you had about his game, um, and I'd like to I'd like to go into detail about some of those concerns that maybe possibly scared the Jaguars off uh, picking him number one overall. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a difficult decision. I think for the Jaguars, I think 
with Trayvon, we didn't necessarily see all the production, but he played a very different position in George's defense where he isn't going to get a lot of production. He was more little, little snugged in a little, little closer inside to more of a guard. Whereas Aiden Hutchinson gets to play outside of the tackle and more space kind of has a more defined role where he's just basically rushing up the field and trying to hit the quarterback on basically every play. And if you look at his, his alignments in college, he was in the B gap next to the next in between the garden tackle on just four snaps. He was over the tackle outside on just 20. And then he was outside that tackle on 763 snaps. So it's, it's pretty clear what Michigan's role was for him. And that was being pretty far outside playing in a ton of space. So I think maybe the Jaguars had a little bit of a holdup of maybe they didn't want, they, they had a more defined role for, for what they wanted either Walker or Hutchinson to be and felt that Walker could play that role a little bit better. I think with some of the too high stuff we've talked about, that kind of changes the alignments up front and changes the positions a little bit. Hutchinson has modeled his game basically after the Bosa's and more specifically Nick Bosa because they both weigh about 265 and... When I say that, I'm referring to his, well, first of all, I'll I'll say, I'll talk about what kind of alignment Bosa plays in, and then we'll get into kind of stylistically how they're similar as players. In San Francisco's scheme, they play predominantly four down defensive linemen, and they ask their linemen to get way, way, way outside the tackles in what's called wide nine alignments. And so that even means if there's a tight end on the line next to a right tackle, Bosa is going to line up outside of that tight end. So they're way, way, way out there. And Bosa is a really good player. He could play more inside as well. But what that allows him to do is, as I said, just play in a ton of space and really get to use speed if he wants to, to kind of set up these right tackles who are bigger and, and slower and whatnot. And that's the kind of role that I think Hutchinson will excel in. The issue is that with these alignments changing and more too high defenses, we're just not seeing that same wide nine style nearly as much as we have in the last few years. So I think it'll be interesting with Detroit to try and figure out Detroit played a ton of two high defense last year, ton of two high coverages. And it just doesn't really make sense to allocate your defensive lineman in that same way as you would in a one high style defense. So I'm a little nervous about how they're going to deploy him in that sense. Maybe they'll make him more of an outside linebacker and ask him to drop into coverage a little bit more, which he's a freak of a freaking athlete. So he wouldn't necessarily struggle in that way. But that was just a little little holdup I had with trying to trying to think of how he's going to fit into the NFL in this sense. Why yeah. he's similar to Bosa stylistically is I really love the Bosa's game. They 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 learned their system of moves, if you will, from Larry Johnson, who's an Ohio State defensive line coach who is legendary. He's he's coached up plenty of, of great defensive linemen. And basically, they have this package of moves that just plays off what the offensive lineman is going to do in a way that not a lot of defensive linemen have certainly coming into the NFL. It's predominantly, it's, they use their side scissors moves, side scissor moves, side scissor moves. Yeah. 
it is what it is. You know, you know, you know, you know, if you know the name, then it's that's all that matters, right? Yeah. But they use this side scissor move to let's try and picture if you're a right tackle and there's a guy outside of you, if Bose is to your right, Bose is gonna try and go outside or inside. And when the let and the when the tackle puts his arms out, he's gonna try and use both his hands to swipe them away. So when a when a lineman or, or an offensive tackle tries to contact him, Bose is just gonna swipe that away. When the lineman says, okay, when the tackle says, okay, I'm just going to keep my hands low so you can't hit them, Bosa is going to bull rush him because now his chest is exposed. Then when the lineman says, okay, you're going to bull rush me, side scissor me, I'm going to keep my hands up high so you can't bull rush me. Bosa uses what's called a forklift technique, tries to grab his wrist and just raise them in the air and walk them back. So it was pretty striking watching Hutchinson because he does literally this exact package of moves. So it's a it's a challenging repertoire to to master. He was really good at it. I kind of in the same way that Nick Bosa had some questions coming about coming out about his power. I think those are there with Hutchinson, and that's why I had a little bit of a of a holdup with him. He's unbelievable athletically and he tested through the roof i think he was like a 97 percent athlete uh, uh athletic score of all time it's just the power i i think that's where i worry a little bit when he does need to use that bull rush that's where that's where i had some questions and where i wasn't overly unbelievably excited about him as number one overall pick yeah well listen uh, Alex, it's it's been fantastic to speak to you this evening. Um, really gotten a great insight into a lot of topics. Um, we'd love to have you back on the show to talk about a few more topics when we have uh, more time to chat. But before we do let you go, um, for people interested, where are they able to check out your videos or if they want to uh, follow you on any of the socials? Yeah, so I'm everywhere at Alex Rollins NFL, just my name and then NFL. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, and I make a video every single Saturday. They come out about 8 a.m. Pacific time, which I know is, what is that, like 10 p.m. your time or something? Who even knows? Um, it's like midnight for you guys. Head. No, it's, oh, like no. Five, it's like three or four. It's like four o'clock right? in the afternoon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what I do every week. I choose a topic and I try and get really, really in depth and kind of simplify these kind of crazy terms that that we hear on broadcasts or or online and and just make things simple and easy to digest and hopefully create a bridge between how in, intimidating it is to hear all these NFL play names and and things like that and and make it really palatable so uh every saturday that's where i am and uh come find me excellent like i said at the start uh, a really big fan of your your channel really enjoy the videos that you make and the breakdowns that you do and really look forward to seeing uh, more of them definitely over the season for sure and i hope you uh, continue up the good work and all the success in in the future thank you darren yeah I, I would love to come back on i i know both of us are itching for some for some actual football action so i i appreciate the kind words and i would i would love to come back and chop it up when when the Seahawks are 13 and out. Absolutely. Absolutely. That sounds like a treat. And I'm definitely going to take you up on that offer for sure. Um, but this is where we're going to end this edition of the show. Um, once again, thank you to our guest for this evening, uh, Alex Rollins. Make sure you follow him on all the socials he mentioned there and just search for his name 
on YouTube. You'll find his channel there. Make sure you subscribe to it there too. Every Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, about 4 p.m. Uh, Irish time, a new video is released. So you can check it out there. And of course, go through his back catalog to see his other ones too. Like I said, that's all the time we have for this week. We'll be back again with a new show um, next week. But until then, stay safe and we'll see you soon.